The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The word of God speaks to us like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Frontline this evening. Um, I'm really, really glad to see all of you here. Uh, if, you, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, along with Blake and Chad, um, get to serve this congregation. Uh, in addition to that, I also get to serve uh, Frontline holistically, all, all the Frontline congregations together in church planning and church strengthening. And so I love the fact that not only do I get to serve our church planting, but I actually get to be with one of our church plants. And so it's just been an honor and, uh, to, to be here. If you're new, uh, we would we'd just love to meet you. We'd love to talk to you about what we feel like the Lord's doing here, uh, what we sense He's doing here, where we sense the Lord leading us in this city. Uh, and so we are excited to, uh, excited to be here and excited to have you with us. Uh, for the next three weeks, we just finished up, if you've been with us, we just finished up. Uh, walking through Second Timothy together uh, as the book, and and uh, as a church, we often alternate in times between going through a book of the Bible and just stepping verse by verse, chapter by chapter through that book, uh, and then sometimes we take a step back and we look at what does the Bible say to particular topics or particular uh, areas of life or ministry, and really what we what we felt uh, a sense from the Lord to to step into for the next three weeks as we're heading towards Advent is to actually step back into something that we talk about all the time as a church, which is our mission as a church. So we want to be a church that multiplies gospel communities that do three things. We want these communities to love God, to love people, and to push back darkness. Now, if you've been at Frontline for any length of time, you will have heard those words over and over and over again. And I'll just tell you, I don't apologize to say them again. We're going to keep saying them because we actually want that mission to shape who we are as a church. We want to regularly come back to what it is that God's called us to, recommit ourselves to it, to not lose sight of it along the way. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be doing that. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the first of those, how we as a church um, can be a church that truly does love God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into 1 John for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me, because here's what I want. I want the Lord to actually open our eyes to see some things and hear from Him tonight in special ways. So God, I pray that you would, you would speak to us pray that you would speak to us. Um, We need to hear from you. And God, I pray that we would see anew, see afresh your love for us tonight and teach us then what it means to respond to that love by loving you in return. We pray this in hope. We pray this in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think I'd get much argument uh, to make the statement that at the center of the Christian faith, of, of the, of the, at the very center of the Christian faith, stands the idea of love. The, the very gospel itself, the idea that God is, uh, has loved us and has, has, has come to us by grace is the fact that He is a God who loves. At the center of the Christian faith is the idea of love. It, it comes in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. If you've 
been to a wedding anytime recently, more than likely somewhere along the way, you've heard uh, those famous words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that there are, there's faith, there's hope, there's love, but the greatest of these is love, right? We've, we've heard these phrases. We uh, also, if we go to the Old Testament, we'll see that when Moses leads Israel out of, uh, leaves, or leads Israel out of Egypt, sorry, I cannot get those, those syllables out in the right order there. Um, when he leads them out of Egypt, he, the Lord gives him these words to say to the people of Israel. He says, hear, O Israel, this is in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And yet, we live in an age in which if there is anything around the concept of love, we are really confused. We live in an age in which there are many competing ideas of what love means or what it should mean. It's used in all kinds of different ways, from, from movies, TV shows, music, uh, plays, what, whatever it is, books. It's used in many, many different ways. Uh, and honestly, it's it, used in contradictory ways, kind of confusing. Uh, and, and it really brings to mind words of a really, really good friend of mine, Inigo Montoya, <laughs> when he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's very much the way I feel like when I hear our culture talking about love. I'm like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing here. I don't think we're talking about the same thing here. That there's something that in the confusion, it's not just that we're using the word differently, that we're actually losing, we're actually losing the beauty of what love is. That as a culture, as a community, we've, we've lost sight of what it even means to love. Now, it happens in many different ways. And here, I'm going I'm to get to meddle in here in just a little bit. We are now entering into Hallmark Christmas season. If you've already been watching the movies before Thanksgiving, we need to have words. You do need to repent. <laughs> if it's after Thanksgiving, I'll give you a pass. Now, I'm not a, a, a generally a watcher of said movies, but, but it's kind of hard culturally to miss them, that, that at the center of these stories is the idea that romance or love comes when you, ha- when you, mar- when you pair a handsome guy, cute girl, coffee shop, weird mishap, misunderstanding, and then sparkles, right? Some of you are like, you're meddling a little too much, bro. But it's this idea that love is kind of cheap. It, what we've done is we've sentimentalized it. L- love is not actually like a deep commitment to something. It's just this feeling, I guess, that maybe here today and maybe gone tomorrow. We've sentimentalized it. There's another way we've done this. Is as a culture, we've, we've not just sentimentalized it, we've redefined it. That in many ways, and I don't think I get much argument here, that as a culture, we've over-sexualized the word love to the point where it it's makes some of us uncomfortable use the word love outside of a romantic context because it's, it's, be, it's become so sexualized. But the problem is not only is that not, is that not the fullness of what love is, but it actually then ends up separating the concept of love from the idea of even intimacy and being known and knowing and commitment. In her brilliant book, The End of Sex, Donna Friedas um, does a study in which she looks at hookup culture and the way that hookup, hookup culture has actually redefined and destroyed the, the ability for, for, for many young people in, a, in that generation 
to even understand what commitment actually looks like. They chase meaning, they, or they chase feeling, they, they chase an experience. They don't even know now what it means to actually relate to somebody else. We've redefined the idea of love. And in other ways, we've just commodified it. We've turned it into money. That, that I, it's something I exchange. I, I give you love so that you'll give me something back. I, I've turned it into a commodity, something that I can buy, exchange, trade. And as long as I get in return what I am giving towards, I'll continue to give. But as soon as, as, soon as I'm giving and not getting, it's, it's mine back. No longer am I going to love. It's transactional. The problem with all these things is not only it destroys love, but it also turns it into kind of this soft, squishy, weak thing. But that's not at all the way that Scripture talks about the idea of love. Love is not weak. It is not soft. It is, in, it is not incidental to the Christian faith. It's foundational. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest friends during Jesus' ministry on earth, writes in his letter, 1 John, about the centrality of love, warring for this idea of what love really is and why it really matters. So I'd like for you to pull out your Bibles and turn to 1 John, and we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, uh, it is towards the very end of the Bible. So the very last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. Before that are four short letters. The first of those first, first short letters is 1 John. So turn to the back, work back a couple of books, and you'll find it. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. So catch me, catch one of the pastors afterwards. We, every week, are going to preach out of the Bible because these are God's words to us, and we value them. And so we'd love to get you a Bible if you don't have one. But, but read with me. They'll also be on the screen. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. This is what Marissa just read just a second ago. John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, it's, on the face of it, it's pretty obvious what John is saying here. John is not saying, hey, love's a really good idea. You should love God and not love the world. He actually commands it right? He doesn't say, hey, yeah, you might want to think about not loving the world and maybe love God instead. He goes, no, no, no. Do not love the world. Love God. It's a command, not a suggestion. Jesus, he, he, John is just echoing what Jesus says in Mark 12 when he says this. Now, at this point, there were a bunch of people challenging Jesus and we're asking him a lot of hard questions, and he was answering these questions, and, there, and, and one of the scribes came up to him, it says, and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, was answering all those questions well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, a little bit of context here. These are Jewish leaders who are aware that God had given Israel a law with a lot of do's and don'ts in it. You can go back to the Old Testament in the Pentateuch and read many of these laws of how they're supposed to relate to one another, how they're supposed to relate to the stranger, how they're supposed to do taxes and sacrifices and all kinds of things. 
So he comes to Jesus and goes, of all those, of all those things, what's the most important? Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Sound familiar? We just read this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, in this idea of love being um, confused in our culture, I think it's really important for us to take just a second and talk about what does this love look like? What, what, what John is getting at, what Jesus is getting at, what Moses is getting at when they talk about this love is, is, uh, it can be summed up in, in a few words. The, one of the words that comes to mind is that of affection. That actually a, a part of love is affection towards or affection for. There's actually worship comes out of this affection for God. Love is this. It's, it's also satisfaction. That something that I love, I'm loving it towards because it, it satisfies in some sense, some lack or something that I need, something that I'm missing, it satisfies. There's also a sense in which love is seen as allegiance. When I married my bride 18 years ago, I committed to be aligned with her, allegiant to her. That, that I, I treat her differently than I treat other people. And then lastly, love throughout the scriptures is talked in the language of covenant. It's not just that I'm aligned with my wife, I'm covenanted to her. And this is what God uses this language to of Israel and of the church and then calls us to it. That we should find our affection in God. That we should find our satisfaction in God. That we should pledge our allegiance to God. And that we should actually be covenanted to our God. Now, I want to make a couple quick points just to, to make sure we're clear before we move on. The first is this. And I, and I, and I hear sometimes this idea uh, emerge uh, that I want, to, I want to confront. We are not commanded to love God because He needs us. God did not create humanity because he was lonely. He, he didn't create us because we were cute and we would bring nice, happy feelings to him. He doesn't need us. God was perfectly fine before we existed. In eternal love, in, inside the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were in perfect harmony and are in perfect harmony. There's no need for, he has no need for our love. But we need him. His love for us and his calling us to love him is not because of something he needs, but because of something we need. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying this, that just as cars are built to run on petrol or gasoline, so we are made to run on God, that we need God's presence. So this is actually God's love to us to command our love of Him, to find our satisfaction in Him because He knows the only way we'll ever be satisfied is in Him. Second, we're created with both the capacity to love and to be loved. We're created with the capacity to love and to loved. The idea that we love is not a defect. It's something God built into us. One of my favorite authors, a guy named Dr. Kevin Van Hooser, writes this in a book, You Are, called You Are What You Love. He says this, 
What if instead of starting from the assumption that human beings are thinking things, we started from the conviction that human beings are first and foremost lovers? What if, what if you are defined not by what you know, but by what you desire? What if at the center and seat of the human person is found not in the heady regions of the intellect, but in the gut-level regions of the heart? He's simply pointing out what Scripture teaches is that we were created in God's image. The one who is love, the one who does love, created us to love and to be loved. It's not a defect. It's a beautiful aspect of our creation. But First John gets it very clearly a, a problem. Because as much as our love ought to be love of God, too often our love is of other things. We are divided in our love, divided in our affections, divided in our allegiance. Go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John is saying you can't do both. You can't do both. You either love God or love the world. Now, to be very, very clear, what he's not saying is you can't love the things of creation. You can't love God's creation. That's not what he's getting at at all. When he, when he talks about not loving the world here, he's not saying, don't enjoy it. That'd be a mess. My wife and I were vacationing the other day, driving through the Smoky Mountains, and that would be a shame to drive Blue Ridge Parkway and not enjoy it. It's beautiful. Like, there's actually a beauty in enjoying what God has created. There's a beauty there. He also isn't saying don't love the people in the world. We'll get to that next week when we talk about love people. The Bible tells us and commands us to love others because of our love for God. But what he is saying is this. Your allegiance, affection, should not be at the things of the world. They will never satisfy you. Money will never satisfy you, ultimately. Sex will never ultimately satisfy you. Position and power will never ultimately satisfy you. Only God is, will, will satisfy. John is saying we cannot ultimately be allegiant to two loves. So he calls us to love God, the seat of our deepest longing and satisfaction. Dr. Van Hooser continues on in his book and he says this, because we are made to love the one who made and loves us, and then he quotes 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us, he goes, we will find rest, listen to this, when our loves are rightly ordered to this ultimate end. You cannot love or you can't not love. So the question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. So he, he, he's saying you are so wired for love, you will love. That's, that's not a question. The question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. You are what you love. You will love something ultimate. Martin Luther puts it this way a little more succinctly. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. You see, the world is competing for our affections. Our enemy does not want us to find our satisfaction in God, but rather wants to distract us with the trinkets of the world. And if we're honest with ourselves... There's a lot of times in our lives when we recognize 
that inside of us, our loves are not lined up like they ought to be. In many ways, in, throughout this year, some of our affections have been exposed as being not affection toward God, but affection towards things. And as soon as those things get taken away, we realize we were loving the wrong things. The pandemic has taken things from us. As we went through this election season, some of you found your loves being stirred either because of disappointment or excitement in ways that were actually just incongruous with the love of God. Some of us find ourselves in situations where we lose that relationship, we lose that opportunity, we lose that position, and all of a sudden we realize where our satisfaction, where we thought we were going to find our satisfaction. Life exposes the fickleness of our hearts. So the question that comes to me when I think through this is how do we learn to love rightly? How do I actually learn to love the way I ought to love? Turn just one page over, depends on how your Bible's laid out, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Now, John is actually going to uh, is actually going to uh, unpack what it looks like to love God. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In him, the love of God was made manifest, or in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He continues, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Some of you need to hear this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now listen to this, and this is the crescendo. We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. Us. If you get that out of order, you lose the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get those two things flipped out of position, you lose the core of what it means to call yourself a Christian. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus says this, you didn't love him first and then he chose to respond. The Bible even says this, when you were even his enemy, he loved you. Our love follows His. He does not love after we love Him. God loves first, 
And it's only because He loves us that we can love Him. There's four crucial connections between God's love and our love that I think this text is bringing out that I want us to look at real briefly. The first is this, that John here says and tells us that God's love of us is the source of our love for Him. Just think about this. If I go to Sprouts after here, uh, I think we're out of some fruit at home. Actually, I think we're out of all of our fruit at home. Um, need to go to Sprouts, get some apples. Uh, let's just remember, uh, if we're not aware, Sprouts is not the source of apples. Sprouts doesn't go into the back and go, let me make, make up some apples and bring them. It comes out of a tree, right? An apple tree. Apple. The tree produces the fruit. This is the same way in which our love comes out of not us, but out of our connection to the life-giving tree. God himself produces love in us. We can't love apart from him. This is what he says in verse 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you see the connection here? My love actually comes because I'm abiding in God. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. As he loves, we love. He's the source of our love. The second thing I think he teaches us here is that God's love for, uh, of us is the model of our love of him. We just talked about there in the beginning that, that, uh, that, that our world has treated love as kind of a squishy, soft, and, and, uh, and weak thing. But if I read the Bible cover to cover, what you're going to find is a God who loves ferociously. It's not a weak thing. It's ferocious. God's love is long-suffering. It's not fickle. It's commitment. It's undeterred. It is self-giving and sacrificial. This is not I just happened to stumble into a coffee shop and found some, somebody who was cute. And, oh, those are humans are nice. I think I'm going to love them. Sparkles. It's not the way this works. God comes after us and loves us at his own cost. His love is patient. His love is unconditional. Guys, it, he, it is not always returned. Listen to me. God's love is not always returned. As in, he may love us and we may not love him back. It's not always returned, but it is never withdrawn. God never takes his love back because I didn't appreciate it. He's a model for our love, the way that a blueprints work for a house. I have a, I have a picture of what it's supposed to look like, and now I'm going to build it to look like the picture. God has given us a model of what lo love looks like for us to live that way. This is what he says in, in, chapter, in verses 9 through 12. In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It is God at work in us that teaches us to love, perfects our love, forms our love because it's a model for our love.
Third, God's love of us is the reason for our love of Him. Verse 13, 13, 14, and then skipping to verse 19. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us uh, His Spirit. And we have seen a testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. We love, listen, because He first loved us. My love of Him is a response to His love for me. And I want to take just a quick second The fact that God loves you does not necessarily mean that everything in life that sucks is going to just be swept away. Just because everything is hard in life doesn't mean it's just going to get washed away. God loves us even in the middle of difficult things. For some of you, you look at your life and it's hard. And I just want to say quite clearly, that this doesn't change. The fact you're in that situation does not change this truth. God is the, his, his love poured out on us, give us reason to love him, not because he necessarily takes every bad thing away, but because he is present with us in the midst of even the hard things. We do not love him randomly. We love because he first loved us. Fourth, God's love of us is the hope of our love for Him. Guys, our, our love, I don't mean to, don't mean to, to uh, make you seem weak or I don't want to blow kind of your expectations of yourself, but you're not always faithful. We're, we're, the, the, that, that we don't always love God faithfully. Our hope and our love for God is not that we'll figure it out. The hope that we have that I can love God is not because I'm going to be smart enough, wise enough, committed enough. I'm going to push the right buttons and do the right things. My hope is in the fact that He loves me even when I don't love Him as I ought to. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Guys, God's love isn't conditional. And let me say this, when we go after God, or when we go to love God, this is not like us trying to woo a fickle lover. God is not loving and withholding love, and loving and withholding love, and loving and withholding love, and we've got we to do the right things to make Him continue to extend love. He loves and loves and loves, and that's our hope. 1 John 2, the verses we started with, tells us that we don't always love the way that we should love. We don't always love the way we should love. So the question that I am feeling in the middle of this is, where's the hope? If I'm not always going to love God like I ought to, where's the hope? How can I grow my love of God? It's a beautiful book in the Bible we've actually preached through before as a church, Hosea. It's, um, it's one of the, the prophets. In, 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 in the story of Hosea, if you're not familiar with it, God comes to Hosea as one of his prophets, one of the people that speaks for God, and he says, I, I want to put on display 
something for, the, for, the, for Israel to know how I see them and how I view them. So he tells Hosea, I want you to go and find this woman and bring her in as your wife, and I want you to love her. And he does. He brings her in, and for a while, all things are great. Their marriage is strong and solid. They love one another. But over time, she begins to go after other lovers. She begins to chase other men, other illicit affairs. And eventually, she, she doesn't just steal out at night. She just leaves. She's just gone. Pack it up, gone. Well, God then comes to Hosea and he doesn't go, hey, that didn't work out so well, did it? Let's, uh, let's go find somebody else. God comes to Hosea and he says, now I want you to go find her. And I want you to bring her back. I want you to love her. I want you to love her. And he does. And what God is telling Israel in the middle of this is, you have not always been faithful to me, but I have always been faithful to you. And even when you don't want me, I'm coming after you. And in this story, Hosea literally has to buy her out of slavery. It costs him to bring her back home and to love her. And he does. Jesus is the greater Hosea. Jesus is the greater Hosea. Jesus is the one who chose us. Set his love on us. Set his affection on us. Jesus is the one that when we ran away, pursued us. Jesus is the one that paid at his own cost to save us out of slavery to sin and actually on the cross took the punishment that we deserved. That Jesus then brought us back and kept loving us by grace. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. So if we want to talk about what does it mean to grow in love of God, I just want to start here. You're never going to be able to love on your own. You have to start by receiving his love for you. You have to receive his love for you. Jesus says this in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus comes after you and loves you because of grace. You could never earn it. You could never buy it. You could never deserve it. God loves you. Receive that. Second is for some of us, we have received that, but we've gone the way of Gomer in the story of, of Hosea. We've gone the way of Gomer and have gone after other lovers. And what Jesus would say to us is come back, return to your first love. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, there's a, a picture of Jesus um, writing a letter to one of the churches, the church at Ephesus. And he says to the church at Ephesus, you've done a lot of good things. You know a lot of good things and you're faithful in the way that you're engaging your world, but you've actually, I, I have this against you. You've forgotten to love. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten me. In the middle of all your theologizing and in the middle of all your ministry, 
you lost sight of loving me. He says, I'm calling you back to remember that. Remember that or else I'll actually remove your lampstand. I'll actually take you away from being a church at all. What God says to us as a church is that we are to return to our love when we wander off after other lovers. None of us love perfectly. None of us are fully faithful in this. But God is faithful. Dr. Van Hooser, in the same book I quoted a while ago, says this, In short, if you are what you love and love is a habit, then discipleship is a rehabituation of your loves. This means that discipleship is more of a matter of reformation than of acquiring information. Do you hear what he's saying? He's, he's saying this, that, that, uh, that if, if love is actually this, uh, this, this habit of my life, I actually need, to be, I need my heart to be reformed after the things of God. I don't need just more information. I need my heart to change. The learning that is fundamental to Christian formation is affective. A matter of aiming our loves, of orienting our desires to God and what God desires for His creation. You see, we can learn to love rightly because God wants to teach us how to love rightly. The last is this. We want to receive His love, we want to return to His love, and we want to rejoice in His love. When we talk about love, finding our satisfaction in God, that's actually the goal. Do you know that? Like, God actually wants our joy. He wants us to find that love, see that love, be captured by that love, and be satisfied by that love. He wants us to find our joy, to rejoice in His love for us. So here's where I want to close. I just want to ask the question, what do you love? Where's the affection of your heart been drawn these days? Today. Not what have you loved in the past, not what will you love in the future. What, what is God showing you about the nature of your loves today? Are, are, you, actually, are you actually pointing your allegiance to God himself, or has your heart been pulled by a lot of other lovers to love the world? Where do you find ultimate desire, ultimate satisfaction, and ultimate allegiance? What God calls you to is himself. We can grow in our love of God as we receive his love, as we return to his love, and as we rejoice in his love. Listen to this. We will love him. There's only one response to seeing that kind of love, and that is love back. And as we love him, the love of this world will fade in light of that great love. God wants to shape our hearts to see his love, experience his love rightly, and thus be taught to love him. And here's my prayer, that as God does that work, this church actually will be a church that's, that's making that mission a reality, that we're multiplying gospel communities that love God as we love people and push back darkness. Let's pray.